On this episode of Water Flying, we are joined by Richard McSpadden, the Executive Director of AOPA's Air Safety Institute, to discuss issues that are contributing to seaplane incidents and accidents. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to Waterflying. We are on location in Tampa, Florida at the AOPA Hangout at Tampa Executive Airport with my good friend Richard McSpadden, the Executive Director of AOPA's Air Safety Institute, who the Seaplane Pilots Association has been working with and just conducted an in-depth safety report on the issues that are contributing to seaplane incidents and accidents. Richard, you have been running around the show, flying formation. I think you were flying in the uh, takeoff contest earlier. You've been a busy guy, yeah. thanks. These are so much fun. You're right, it's busy, but it's a, it's a ton of fun busy. A great busy. Yeah. But thanks for taking time for letting me wrangle you off the ramp uh, to come do this very important podcast because... You guys have been helping us assemble some really important work and uh, information on what is contributing to seaplane accidents. Obviously, you and I both have a huge investment and interest in making the community safer. And um, through, through the efforts of the uh, Safety Institute, um, we're going to make that happen. Yeah, we're going to keep we're going to keep at it. And we appreciated partnering with you guys on this study, which we think is the most comprehensive study that's been done on seaplane flying ever because we went back as far as we could go to get data uh ntsb data we we brought in some asrs data we tried to get some data from underwriters insurance a little bit but that was harder to get yeah so yeah that's what we use to pull it all together it's challenging because they don't want to give that information to us that's right they don't <laughs> and we've had some success working with them we put out a four-part series earlier on what we can do to bring down uh premiums and insurance yeah. Um, and they really liked that four-part series. Uh, I got with them and signed some NDAs and saw some data on how we damage airplanes, claims that are below the NTSB level, but they're claims on insurance. And that was a really successful four-part series. They liked it, but it's still really hard to get data from them because, and I get it, they think it's a competitive advantage yeah. for them and they're worried about the privacy. So, you know, it, it's just tough to do. Yeah. And we weren't very successful in this realm. Partly because the size of the population for seaplanes, where most of them felt like they didn't have enough data for it to be statistically significant to us. That was the biggest hurdle. Yeah, it's hard. We're a nano-sized community. Yeah. I mean, dealing with AOPA and the entire general aviation community is a much different uh, creature than dealing with this very small community of seaplane pilots. And, and again, the fact that no one actually knows how many seaplanes are right. flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Just the basics, was, uh, yeah. which is why you can't really do a rate for seaplanes, right? We'll get into that. You can kind of estimate it, you know, we can kind of ballpark it, but because some planes are configured for seaplane ops, but they don't fly them, you know, in, in water yeah. operations. So could have skis, could have wheels. That's could, right. Uh, <laughs> it's seasonal. They take floats on and off. So is that, you know, when does, does that count? So it's really hard to get the rate uh, in, in the, just the base number of seaplanes out there is a hard number to come yeah. in. And it's one of the most common questions we have, and I think yeah. people are surprised. 
Yeah. No one really knows. Yeah. So, hey, before we go any further, let's just introduce your background to the listeners because you have a, number one, unbelievably fascinating background, very celebrated background. I, I just think it's a, an honor to sit down with you and, and to have you on the GA team. And and your history has proven how invested you are. I mean, you're a fellow Super Cub pilot. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you already yeah. have a star going the in Super that direction. Cub stick together, man. <laughs> Not to mention the, the a lot more illustrious <laughs> stuff you've done. Yeah, yeah. No. So how'd right. you get started? I, how I did flew, all uh, GA from from the start? My dad uh, got a. Uh, my mom gave my dad a uh, a present for a, an introductory flight about the time he was forty in his early forties, mm-hmm. and I was in high school, college at the time. And I saw. I really hadn't thought much about flying up to that point, um, and I saw how much fun my dad was having. I'd never seen him so completely taken by something, and I thought, "Wow, if this has got my dad so, so enraptured, <laughs> this must be interesting stuff." So, I looked into it and you know jumped in and started flying when I was in uh, college. Then went in and flew for the Air Force. And I flew GA throughout my Air Force career. I'd come home and fly with my brother and dad, who owned various different airplanes, and. Um, Flew for the military, primarily fighters. I did have a stint flying uh, King Airs in the Philippines for oh, wow. three years, okay. which was yeah, really, I didn't know that one. So yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was a ton of fun. We would fly that King Air for everywhere from grass strips to coral strips in a bathing suit and a mess dress, formal uniform. Our ambassador is a guy named John Negroponte. Uh, pe- people would know that name. Um, and he he loved that King Air, yeah. And uh, he we would just take him everywhere in that thing, and it was so much fun. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it was I, a great uh, assignment. It's kind of funny because I go back and forth across the Panhandle a lot, and of course I was based at Herbert Field, yeah, and yeah. Uh, with First Sal, and you know now they're flying PC twelves, and so it's funny yeah. we're going across in a seaplane, and I always talk to the controllers as I go by, and we, we normally have like PC twelves flying around below us and above us and everything else, and yeah. Uh, it, it's an interesting, fascinating mission. And yeah, yeah, great mission. Some of the yeah. aircraft that have come out now. So, yeah. And yeah. we go back before the Ospreys, before Special Ops was flying the Ospreys. So. Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, good <laughs> stuff there. That Osprey is a huge airplane. It is. When you get up next to it or see it flying, you're like, good gracious, that's a big airplane. Yeah, and I worked AC-130s. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and nothing like being in an airplane with a 105-millimeter howitzer <laughs> yeah. going off. So. Yeah. I mean, you can tell me. I've heard that thing when when you're firing that gun it just skids yeah. around the around the circumference of the turn. Yeah, so going. the 40 affects the airplane more than the 105, and now they're changing the guns up a little bit. They're going through some different configurations than what we flew with the H models, but we had the two 20-millimeter Gatling guns, uh, the 40. But the 40 was hard-mounted to the floor where the 105 traveled six feet. Oh, and okay. so the yeah. 40, we would double stack and we'd fire two clips at a time, and that would actually push us about 40 feet up in the lobe. 40 feet. Yeah. yeah. So it was wild. <laughs> it's a pretty good show. Yeah. <laughs> and very loud in the airplane. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so, so you had this GA experience uh, through your dad. So that's yeah. how you got introduced. Yeah. You had, uh, you had some airplanes, I think uh, in that period, uh, yeah. gro- was it growing yeah. up or? Yeah. No, he, he did about right after he started flying, he bought a 152. So okay. 152. And then very soon thereafter, he bought an Avion, which he owned yeah. for four okay. years. Yeah. Which you had. Yeah, I did. I bought it from him after a while, and then I, I owned it a couple of years and then sold it. Yeah. And then you went into the military, and you kind of moved on from flying the King Airs to something a little bit more illustrious. Than, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, all that all that Navy on selling happened after the military. But uh, while I was in the military, yeah, I mostly flew fighters, mostly F-15s. 
But uh, I did serve a stint as the commander and flight leader of the Air Force Thunderbirds from the 2002-2003 show seasons, Yeah, which is fantastic. And I think that's – so I've always been uh, interested in modeling the procedures of the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds because you guys perform a very intricate, very precise show, show after show, with what appears to the audience absolute perfection. And, of course, you guys – tear apart each other at yeah. the end of every show. Yeah. But the fact that you can replicate this incredibly precision show at very high tolerance levels really speaks to the advocate in me that wants to make our community safer mm-hmm. and to study those methodologies and, and what we can apply, which is, you know, part of why this podcast is so important. Why we'll probably have many more with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I hope so. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's pretty fascinating. I mean, what a yeah. unique, how many uh, lead pilots have there been for the T-Birds? I want to say it's like 42, I believe, 43, it's maybe a small club. somewhere in there. Yeah, pretty small community. Yeah. And uh, I, I think something like 38 of us are still around, you know? Wow. So yeah, still, still a lot of fun when you go around and see... Because, you know, it's like anything that you, that's kind of a niche, you know, there's only certain people that really understand all, all that you are working to do. And they're with the hardest audience mm-hmm. when they'd come to a show and somebody would tell you, oh, there's an old leader in the office. You'd go, oh, geez, you know, <laughs> <laughs> pressure just went up. <laughs> I have he's going to see everything, right? He, he's gonna you know. know he knows. Yeah, he, yeah. he knows, right? Yeah, exactly he's been right. through the 100 briefings, debriefings. <laughs> that's so, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think it is a tremendous... Uh, did Mark chase you or did you chase Mark? How did that oh, all happen? Yeah, I chased AOPA. I really wanted to come fly for AOPA or you know, work for AOPA. I was in the IT industry at the time um, and I was flying GA on the side, but I really wanted to get back into aviation full time. And um, AOPA had a couple positions come open that I would apply for. And, you know, they'd come back and say, yeah, I want to think you're right for this position. And I just kept at it. It took about a year and a half. I think wow. I just wore him down. I think I think Mark finally said, "Just give him something, you know, get him off my back." <laughs> That's amazing. I did the same thing. I was like, "Mark, yeah. I have to have you on our board." You know, will you please join our board? I need yeah. you to be represented. And of course, many years ago, we had Phil Boyer on the board, uh, going back away. But you know, I found Mark uh, uh, amazing. I mean, number one, he's a seaplane guy. Yeah, big I mean, time. he big just bought. A, I don't guy. even know yeah. if it's public what he's buying right now. But yeah, I I don't know. You know, he's owned over 110 different airplanes in his yeah. life. You know, so he's owned. Uh, he's got a widgeon now. He's got the That's widgeon. What that, I was going to talk about. Richard yeah. Bach used to own actually, yeah. uh, and it's kind of cool. Richard Bach wrote him a nice little note on it. You know, the, the oh, of that's course, the author great. of uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull and many other books. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's, I agree with the Mark's got tremendous vertical leap. He can talk super cubs cause he owns one of those flying in the back country and he can talk flying citations cause he used to own one of those, you know, so yeah. he's just everything. In so between. caravans, uh, yeah. of course the super cub he says is his favorite airplane, but every time I turn around, he's, Oh, I bought a one eighty five. I bought a beaver or yeah. I bought, you know, something. And I think that gives him tremendous breadth of knowledge to lead, the organization. I agree. Uh, yeah. His, yeah. I mean, if you ever want to see passion in action, yeah. uh, Mark is a an amazing yeah. example of that. And I think what you bring to the table from, again, that Thunderbirds experience and that military experience, what, what you bring to ASI, um, you can't say enough about it. I'm, well, I'm well, thrilled to have someone like you in this position. Yeah, well, thanks for saying so. I hope so. You know, it's yeah. a... It's a it's definitely work that I enjoy doing and work that needs to be done well. So uh, I hope we are doing it well. 
Yeah, and I just I want more opportunities like this to work with you. Yeah. So I'll just there there I'll just I'll just say it. So um, so there you go. I mean, so Richard's the real deal. Uh, he has tons of experience both in GA and above GA, uh, and he's probably flown above many of you, our listeners, in air shows. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, uh, so. so you probably looked up in the sky and seen Richard flying uh, from time to time. Um, so let's talk about this uh, very important topic of seaplane safety. We did a video earlier this year um, talking about amphibious gear operations, which we've identified as being one of the more important uh, attri- or you know things causing incidents for pilots. I think that stands out to everyone. Um, but there are a lot of other things that came out through this study. I think a lot of us probably suspected that they were going to be contributors. Uh, but now we have some data at least vetting this and, and verifying it. Um, and thankfully, again, we've been doing a lot of safety seminars on these topics, which is great. So I think, uh, going over some of the things we found, number one, seaplanes do seem to have, I mean, I don't think we can hide it. Seaplanes do seem to have a higher incident rate than land planes. Seems so. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's unreasonable to expect. Yeah. Because, you know, any, any time you elevate the risk of any operation or the complexity, then you're going to see an increase in the number of mishaps, right? Across any industry, doing any activity anywhere in the world. When activity goes up and when complexity goes up, you're going to have a, a correlation, a direct relationship to mishaps. So it wasn't surprising that that's what we thought we saw in the data, that it's probably a little bit higher. Yeah, I, taught, I did a FAA seminar for flight instructors on this where I discussed if you go into a land airport, you know the winds. Uh, in advance, usually. Uh, You have a paved surface to land on. Uh, You're pretty much assured that it's clear of obstacles. Uh, And when you hit the brakes, the airplane stops generally, and you can hold it in place. And for us as a a seaplane pilot, when we're in the pattern, we're looking for uh, pilings, we're looking for watercraft, we're looking what is the depth of the water, what's the current of the water, what are the winds. You know, there's so many other variables that we're assessing between downwind and final, mm-hmm. uh, that it is a lot more complex than I think people really understand or give it credit for. I think you're right. Part of the reason why seaplane flying is so much fun and that we're all proud of it as seaplane pilots is it requires an elevated level of judgment. Yeah. Because if you fly into like here, like we all did here, you got ASOS, you got a tower controller, you got all these things, you got aprons and You're being walked along the way. <laughs> Vazies, you know, and you know you have clearance zones and all this stuff, right? You have none of that in the places you go in the seaplane. So it's like backcountry flying. Seaplane flying is backcountry flying. Exactly. Really. Yeah. Because... All of that requires pilot judgment for you to figure out which way you're going to land and what's in the water and just all that stuff that we have to assess. And, you know, anytime you increase the level of, again, complexity and judgment, you're going to see an increase in uh, mishaps. And that's what we think we saw in the data. Yeah. So, I mean, even going in the last 24 hours, you've been flying takeoff uh, competitions and landing competitions. You've been doing air-to-air photography as the pilot uh, for the photo ship. And I think one of the things that has always attracted me to seaplane flying, just like flying aerobatics and flying tailwheel aircraft, is it requires more skill. It is more demanding. And that's exactly why I like the activity. Mm-hmm. It's more cerebral to me. It, it feeds my brain and my, my quest to be a better pilot. Yeah, and I think the next step to that is we have to agree, and sometimes we forget to do that, that since I've decided I want to do this and I enjoy this so much, the requirement 
comes with more time to spend in thinking about these issues yeah. that make me a good seaplane pilot or conversely can make me a not-so-good seaplane pilot. So now that I've decided to step up to this level of flying, flying this level of judgment that required, I have to agree to step up to the knowledge that needs to happen and the proficiency and the training that I've got to keep fresh. And I think sometimes we as the seaplane community, that's where we fail. Yeah, I think we undervalue the skill set and the level of discipline. And, and that was going to be the next point is that I think one of the things that came out through the study, again, no surprise, seaplanes do require more skill. That was identified. Uh, better judgment. Again, yep. I think yep. we've, we've already talked about that. And discipline. And I think that's the area that I see the biggest gap um, in the pilots and in the community is a lack of understanding of the discipline that we need to maintain in this uncontrolled, very free form environment. And the study pointed that out. And that's exactly, if I had one single largest observation, it's we, we pride ourselves on being flip-flop flyers and, and, you know, this wonderful carefree way that we get to enjoy as seaplane pilots, but you can never lose sight of the discipline required to yeah. do it safely. Yeah. And you know what that reminds me of, Steve, is, you know, the Mark Twain quote that says, um, I don't have time to write you a short letter, so I'll write you a long one. You know, meaning that you can you can just, no filter, just put it all yeah. out there. And the, to me, the same thing's required of us in seaplane flying is to realize that, yeah, I can fly around in my flip-flops and like it's casual and like I'm on the beach and all that. It's okay if I give that appearance as long as I understand there's nothing that that is not reality for flying a seaplane. That is exactly. not where my mind yeah. needs to be. I can dress like that and act that part, but that's not where my mind needs to be. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's important. We can enjoy this. Yeah. We can present that, but it's no different. Every flight that you make in a seaplane, your passenger's lives and your life depends on you doing, this is a zero fault activity. Yeah. We are humans. We are prone to error. And we need to do everything we can to approach that zero fault standard. Yeah. And, yeah. and little mistakes or big mistakes yeah. can be make big mistakes. I think that came out in the report and the data, too, is that our fatality rate per mishap is higher. So yeah. if you're in a seaplane mishap, you have a higher chance of that being a fatal mishap than you do on normal ground flying. Yeah, and I think that goes back to our gear down water landing video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, yeah. I th- one of, I think, is the biggest contributor to the fatalities is when you have that explosive upset of a gear down water landing, um, there's a good chance there's injuries or fatalities. You have to be able to get out of the airplane, and there's a good chance you're going to be injured, shocked, out of breath, whatever, in that incident. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the biggest thing I want to maintain. When you get to the airport, please turn your phone off. Yeah, right. Get your mind Get, right. Yeah, yeah you, you yeah. don't underestimate the importance of concentration and staying focused on the task at hand. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that the, the Thunderbirds probably applied. You can tell me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, but you once you enter that 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 zone for that day, for that performance, yeah. the rest of the world, no matter if you had an argument with your wife, what's going on with your kids, What's yeah. going on in the outside world? You're there to do one task, and that's put that show on to extreme yeah, precision. And we, and we would go wide to narrow, Steve. Like, you know, two hours before, we would go into a briefing room where only team members go in the out, bubble, right? Uh, no, no, we had, we were out in the crowd talking and doing the PR thing ahead, but two hours prior, you're in a room, and then about an hour prior, only the pilots. 
right? And then the team kind of used to make fun of me back in the day for it. But within about a half hour of takeoff, they would see me walk up by our comm trainer just by myself. And they kind of got, they kind of knew then that Richard doesn't want to be talked to anybody. He doesn't want to be bothered. And I kind of got that watching the, the Patty Wagstaffs, the Michael mm-hmm. Gullians, the Sean Tuckers. Have you ever seen them at air show? They do the exact same thing. Yeah. They will walk out to a place where the crowd can't find them, and they are they are getting their mind right and getting in the routine. Now, maybe we it doesn't need to be that serious for us, but that concept I think we can apply in our seaplane flying is getting your mind ready for whatever the mission is for the day. Well, what's the task at hand? What am I about to undertake? And And little distractions. Um, you know, I always talk about these events scare me at, at seaplane events where we have the takeoff and landing competition and the bomb drop and everything we do at the seaplane contest. And you'll see someone take off with their water rudders down, which as seaplane pilots is, you know, the faux pas. And, and really, realistically, it's not that big of a deal. But what scares me is what else did they miss that is a big deal? Yeah. If yeah. they miss something as burned into our thought process as water rudders. Yeah. What else did they miss? Yeah, and you know what I love about the the community has kind of a a, a fun thing where you know if you get if you take off with your rudder rudders down, then you you owe the bar. You know, yeah. if you're coming back in, you buy, you buy around, and I love that because it's fun, but it also kind but of tweaks you. It a also bit, right? is it's like you forgot your water rudders, and everybody saw it. You know, yeah. like like come on, let's let's all learn from that, and we've all done it, right? Yeah. I can tell you, I'm willing, I, I wouldn't I, say all, but I've certainly done it, and you're embarrassed by it, and you should be embarrassed by it because to your point, it means well, why'd you miss it? You know, yeah. that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty fundamental step. So I had this exact conversation very, at, at very long length after a seaplane event at a seaplane base. I mean, it literally was a long conversation and talking about the power of distraction and how dangerous it was. And then after the conversation, I took off with my water rudders down. <laughs> yeah. And I came back and raised them and got on the radio and was like, okay, there's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever assume, you know, don't ever get too comfortable with it. Um, And I was telling Chris Rose, I'm sure you, well, you know, uh, uh, about the, uh, probably the board at Surfside. Yeah. The, the whiteboard with the water rudders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Those those guys, the the Minnesota seaplane pilots association, I saw you up there. This, this, those guys are a lot of fun. And they literally have a board where if you take off with your water rudders down, it's up there. And at the end of the year, yeah, uh, and I was up at Lake Hood, and was at the rudder down party for the commercial pilots on Lake Hood. Yeah, a month ago, right after, right after yeah. we were in Minnesota. So I have to say, we had a very similar thing that just worked well for our culture when I was in the Thunderbirds. If you did little, you know, small stuff wrong like that, that really wasn't that big a deal, but it indicated your head wasn't fully in the game. Then you know we would we ching right now you owe something uh, it was usually a dollar back then right and then we'd add it all up put it in the kitty and then you know go have a nice party with it but it was a way that all of us enforced the standard on each other in a fun way but in a way we were making a point yeah and then one of the things I picked up from the Blues and I don't know if you guys did the similar thing who's that <laughs> is that, that, that other team oh. Oh, those guys! Yeah, those, <laughs> they have fought and scratched and clawed their way to be the second best jet team in the nation. <laughs> I'm so proud of them. They've come a long way. <laughs> we had to. I mean, how else do you approach that with a thought? <laughs> but in truth, I got to say, we had when I was there, we had a fantastic relationship with those guys. We did a lot of collaboration with them. So the Blues and the Thunderbirds actually get along really, really well. We we have a lot of fun. But the, but the egging yeah. back and yeah. forth yeah. never yeah. stops. Never stops. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But one of the things I picked up was, 
uh, in their in their post show briefing, uh, they'll say, uh, you know, I was I was late on the call. I I was three seconds late getting there. Whatever, past the mark. Um, that was my issue, boss. I'll do better next. I'll do better. I'll, I'll correct the problem. I'll do it right next time. Yeah. And I like that verbal commitment where they literally to the team, you know, they would go around the team and ask what the faults were. They would take ownership of the fault and they would make a verbal commitment to correct the the issue. Yeah. Which I thought was very powerful. Yeah, Um, it is. Yeah. I'm trying to instill that in my team (laughs) at SPA. So uh, again, uh, more skill, uh, better judgment. Uh, don't, uh, and we talked about confirmation bias in, yeah. in Minnesota, which I will develop a whole safety program on, on confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other presentations you and I participated in, we talked about the power routine yeah. and choreography, mm-hmm. uh, which I think would help pilots a lot. And I think we could do a whole podcast on yeah. any one of these topics. Uh, but also uh, the n- nature of the areas that we operate because they tend to be, uh, again, a-, a greater workload, more remote, less known about them when you go in. Uh, these were all factors. Uh, and you mentioned earlier as we were prepping for the show, the seasonal nature of seaplane pilots in in many of the states where they don't fly during the winter, they get back in the airplane in the spring. They haven't flown for four or five months, especially in Alaska, where it's a really short season. And I think, you know, don't load the family up and the dog and the camping gear and everything else on that first flight. Spend some time getting honing your skills and getting back. And I think that disruption that we don't have here in Florida, um, you know, is an issue as well. Yeah, you're right. We think we saw that in the data where there's typically a longer layoff for seaplane pilots than most because of the seasonal nature. A lot of people put their floats on and off and change their airplanes or move up to the cabin or back or whatever. And we as pilots have a tendency to want to go back to the place we left from in terms of our skill and proficiency. Well, we don't say it consciously, but in our minds we think, you know, last time I flew, I was flying into this very short lake and pretty rough water and whatever the conditions. So you think you're ready to go do that again, and you're not. Your proficiency is, you know, we used to say in the Air Force, if you want to be good, then recency and frequency. You have to have done it recently, and you have to do it a lot. Then Mm -hmm. you're good. And if you start missing on either one of those, then you need to back off a little bit until you can match that. So we think we saw that as a real issue and maybe a charge that both of us can sort of raise the flag on is that seasonal adjustment coming out of the winter. Back off a little bit. Get your head back in the books a little bit. Back off of what you're expecting from your airplane and you as a pilot because you're not ready for it yet. You are not the pilot you were when you stopped flying last year. Four months ago, right. Yeah. 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 And, And, you know, hey come down to Florida and find someone to fly with, fly an operator down here or school. In, if you're up north in the winter and your airplane is on skis or wheels or parked for the winter, yeah. come down to Florida, do some, you yeah. know, keep current. Yeah, I've, I've found it a pretty fun place to hang out <laughs> this week. So, you know, that's all, all good. Um, I think one of the other things is, you know, a lot of people ask me and and the association and push us to do you know create more seaplane rental programs and things like that and i probably have a a a less than welcome response in many cases because i tell people honestly if you don't own a seaplane you probably don't fly one enough to be safe and and that might be an unpopular retort i think 
Yeah. But I think there's a lot of sensibility to it. Yeah. There's just got to be a way that you can, you went and got your seaplane rating. Great. Glad you did. Now you've got to figure out how you can keep that current. And if you go too long again, then you really need to go back through some of those training elements and pick yourself back up again. Yeah. And one of the things I tell people is long before I owned a seaplane, you know, for literally for 15 years or more, uh, I would travel all over the country and fly with every operator I could. And having a CFI with me never was a deterrent. I never considered that a liability. I never yeah. never even crossed my mind that I couldn't rent a seaplane, and that yeah. was a reason not to go. And, you know, I used to fly at Kenmore. Then I'd go down and fly with Lyle at Southern Seaplanes. I'd come down here and fly with Browns or, you know, any number of the operators down here. And I always tried to fly with every operator I could in a different geographic area with a different instructor and and many times in a different type of aircraft. And I think that made me a much better pilot. Yeah. And I found, you know, they're, they're not going to bust your chops. What they're going to help you do is they're going to have some fun flying with you and they're just going to give you two, three tips, nuggets that you'll keep. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. You know, that'll help you just in your, in your routine, keep you out of trouble. And and I tell people every day we take a seaplane out, we're risking a very expensive day. I mean, there's bolts or, or screws sticking out of a dock. There's log that we might hit a log and, and damage a float, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there is a, a element of risk every time we go out and fly. And you know, Steve, that what uh, bothers me a little bit is that um, I was talking to somebody one time and we were talking uh, seaplanes and I mentioned uh, something that uh, it might've been a water rudders. And they said, ah, yeah, yeah water rudders. Okay. I forgot, but it's just a, a switch action that I forgot to do, you know, a, a little action. And it didn't have any consequences. And I said, yeah, here's the problem with that. F- forgetting to raise your gear is just a, and you break it down, it's just a simple switch action that you forgot to do. Yeah. But the consequences are severe. So you can't let yourself get away with, ah, I just forgot to turn the lights on or I forgot to raise the flaps or I forgot to. You can't let yourself that. That simple switch action yeah. is, is a problem, right? Debrief yourself on it. And, and then we love to say is, there's no such thing as a lesson learned until you change behavior. If you just look at it and don't change anything, it's just a lesson observed. So don't make it a lesson observed. Do something. Change your behavior yeah. so it's truly a lesson learned. And one of the things I do literally is when I make an error, when I make a faux pas, I immediately work that into a safety seminar and I take ownership yeah. of it. Yeah. And, and it's one of those moments where boss, I made a mistake. I'll, I'll correct it. Yeah. You know, I, I commit, I'll make it better. And hopefully if I made it when I'm doing 50 safety seminars a year and I still make these mistakes, yeah. you know, hopefully I can help correct someone else because they're they're not doing this. I, you know, it scares me when I make one of these faux pas because I'm like, how can I, where was my breakdown? Yeah. You know, that really shakes me yeah. uh, when I do that. So getting to that rental issue and this, and this currency issue and everything else, one of the things that the studies pointed out was pilots under 100 hours, typically it, it seems like they're more prone to having incidents or accidents in seaplanes than pilots with greater experience. And I think you know, when I look at these six hour ratings required to get your seaplane rating, it's you're going out there with your learner's permit. Yeah. (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah. And when you think about it for, if you're truly doing seaplane operations, it takes a long time to get a hundred seaplane hours for most people. Yeah. Operations. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Something to be aware of. You know, we see it, they call it the bathtub effect where you see a higher rate of incidents in uh, younger pilots 
and then um, you see that go down as they gain experience, some experience, and then you see it go back up when they start to get too much confidence in their ability, right? So watching that kind of bathtub effect is, uh, is pretty important for us in safety. Yeah, well, hey, I know you have a very busy day. Again, you, I'm so thankful that you came off the ramp and took a break from all your activities to uh, sit down with us today. I literally think we have a, a dozen of these to do. I yeah. mean, there's so many individual topics that you and I could punch down on and explore that I think would benefit the listeners and seaplane pilots out there. I hope we have the opportunity. I hope we can kind of schedule that out because, um, number one, I think it's important. I think these our feedback from these podcasts are there. Some of them, like this one, can be very beneficial to people. Yeah. Um, so let's commit to doing that if we can. I'm in, yeah. Love and, talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and flying. I mean, he, he yeah, gets a smile right. on his face just by <laughs> yeah. saying that. Yeah, how can you not? You know, I think everybody, when you tell them, is, when you go fly a seaplane for the first time, you're like, is that the funnest thing you've ever done? Or what? <laughs> his yeah. whole attitude just changes when <laughs> we right. do that. Yeah. So, and I love that. And, and we call it the seaplane smile. I mean, you can't help but have it. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's very important. Uh, I'm an, of course, lifetime member of AOPA. Uh, Thank you I that. also yeah. uh, maintain a membership in the Captain's or the um, Heathering Society. And um, I would encourage our listeners to do the same because the work that AOPA does and the Air Safety Fund Institute does um, is invaluable. And I think it's important that you not only belong to SPA and the Seaplane Pilots Association, but, you know, AOPA is is our heavy lifter on, on so many GA issues. Yeah, Steve, thanks for that. I agree with you. I, I think we wouldn't have GA in this country like we do without AOPA and the work that AOPA has done for 83 plus years. So, um, yeah, th- thanks for being a part of the community and, you know, come join us. Let's keep strong. Yeah. So uh, what have we failed? Uh, what would you like to say about the Institute? What's going on? Uh, what people may not know about what the Air Safety Institute is doing? Yeah, um, we are just about in every channel you want to find us. So we really believe that we need to be in pilots, get get mindshare in pilots. So wherever, however, whenever you consume information, we're there. We're on uh, YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. So we put out different kinds of material that's consumed about 12 million times a year. Um, so wow. we're proud of that number. We have a podcast also called There I Was, uh, and all of our stuff is free to anyone. So, um, yeah, come, come, come join us and consume our material. And thanks to our donors, it's all free to the entire pilot population. So yeah, so uh, put them on your playlist. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. Yeah. And, and uh, stay tuned because they have a lot of resources and uh, they go to great lengths to produce these. Uh, there's a lot of thought put into them. And uh, you owe it to yourself as a pilot to consume the valuable tools and lessons and resources that ASI is putting together. Yeah, and you made a good point, Steve, about just membership in different organizations. If you think about in GA in this country, we have a pretty good deal for what, what we get to do in the infrastructure that we get to access. And what makes it that way is all the organizations like yours, like Seaplane Pilots Association, Type Clubs, AOPA. And so to join multiple of those so you can support aviation across our spectrum, I think it's, I think it's a must-do, honestly. You know, that's kind of the price you need to pay for accessing this beautiful freedom that we have in this country. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to repeat stories if I do, but, I mean, I tell people – so often that literally I, I so distinctly remember joining AOPA 
uh, it was 1983. Um, I had my student pilot's license, which I got at 15. Uh, my parents didn't support aviation in any way. They weren't involved in aviation in any way. And I remember going and getting uh, my student pilot's license, starting training at Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. And the first thing I did was join AOPA, and I considered it, number one, a duty, but also a rite of passage Yeah, yeah. to join the fraternity. You yeah. know, it was like, now I can join the fraternity of pilots. Yeah. I had been chasing airplanes since I was 10 years old. And, you know, when I got that, that student, that pilot's ticket, that was the first thing I did. And, and when I talk to pilots today that aren't members, and, and especially youth that aren't yeah. members, and they're like, why would I join? I can get everything I want for free on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, but it costs money to buy your freedom. Yeah. It takes people doing the hard work to protect this activity that you either want to earn living at as a profession or you want to engage in for recreational activities. Uh, it takes hard work and it takes money and you owe it to the community. You owe it. If you want to do this as an airline pilot, you have to be a member of AOPA. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I don't know how sure. else to say it. And I don't mean to be yeah. a shameless plug for AOPA, but that's literally yeah. my philosophy. Yeah, well, th- and thanks for being such a long time. Member. Thanks for supporting <laughs> us. Let's do this again. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Richard McSpannon, again, Executive Director of the Air Safety Institute, uh, uh, taking time out of the busy schedule. Uh, we will punch down on these topics much more in depth. We're going to try to distill the information of this study and distribute it to the public in a consumable yep. way because yep. it's very technical. It is. <laughs> it's, we had a PhD uh, do the research for us, right? We wanted that level of scrutiny. But now the next step is to work with you guys and let's get it into a pilot digestible. Yeah, form, let's get it right? digestible because uh, it is PhD reading. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh a great conversation with Richard McSpadden. We look forward to sitting down with him more often uh, and, and continuing these conversations. Thank you. We Thank hope you, this Steve. has been uh, an informative uh, uh, podcast. And until next time, fly safe, fly often, and we'll see you out on the water. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.